Beloved brothers and sisters, would you open your copy of God's holy word to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. This is, as I mentioned, a familiar passage. My intention is that we will return to our study in Romans in uh, subsequent weeks. But today being Resurrection Sunday, I felt it would be in earnest for us to look afresh at this passage today. To consider the implications and the truth of the resurrection and let its power wash over us afresh by God's grace. So I'm going to ask you to stand, if you would, and I'm going to read 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 8. Hear the word of the Lord. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 through 8. Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preach to you which also you received, and in which you stand, by which also you are saved if you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. And that he was seen by Cephas, then by the twelve. After that, he was seen by over five hundred brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain to the present. But some have fallen asleep. After that, he was seen by James, then by all the apostles. Then last of all, he was seen by me also, as by one born out of due time. Father, we pray that you will take this word, and may that gospel of the cross of Jesus and the resurrection of Christ and authority and power. May it, Lord, may we be transformed by it. We need to hear and believe this good news as much as unbelievers do, for it is this gospel believed and held fast to from beginning to end by which we stand and are saved, by which we inherit eternal life and glory. So, Father, may these words not be old to us. May they not be uh, dead words, but may they be life-giving, life-imparting Uh, words to us today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated, brethren. Well, as we consider this passage, like I said, I, I acknowledge, you know, as a pastor at times, there's a tendency and to want to have something or have something on any given week that is perhaps something new or something which we haven't, you know, seen or consider it from an angle that maybe we haven't heard before. I want us to be growing deeper in our understanding of the things of God. I want us to dive and plumb the depths of God's Word. But brethren, it is also imperative for me as a pastor to make sure that we are always coming back to not getting far afield from those fundamental truths, the things that uh, the things that are, have grounded us and which define us as Christians fundamentally. The Apostle Peter, you recall in Second Peter, uh, chapter one, he says, uh, "These things that I speak to you," um, he says, "I know, you know." I'm paraphrasing here, but he says, "The things I speak to you, I speak to you as one again, knowing that these are things which you have heard, but it is good for me to say them to you again, that you may be grounded in the faith." Knowing that, he says, knowing that his time of departure is near. His goal and his yearning for them was that they would 
hold fast to the gospel to the, of Jesus Christ because it was through the power of God working through faith that was anchored in that gospel and the reality of the person and work of Jesus Christ laying it all right there, holding fast to that truth. It was in that, as we'll see today, that they would persevere. They would overcome and inherit glory. And if they got moved away from that, that they would, in fact, fall away. So, brethren, it is vitally important for us today that we believe, love, cherish, and abide in the gospel. I just want to have us look at two key things this day. Number one is what we'll say the substance of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And again, this won't be new for you, but I want us to hear it afresh and consider it. And then secondly, having considered the substance of the gospel of Jesus Christ, I would have us to consider the reality of salvation being for all who are believing the gospel. I just read 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 8. We're going to start there. I'm not going to dive deep, but then we're also going to finish on the last part of Acts 2, which was read earlier as our New Testament reading. So let's just begin here. Number one, as we consider the substance of the gospel of Jesus Christ, we are told in these two texts here today, 1 Corinthians 15 and then again um, here in Acts, we're told, first of all, in terms of the substance of the gospel, that Christ was attested by God the Father through His virtue and miracles and signs. In Acts chapter 2, verse 22, we're told there, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. So, brethren, the first thing I want us to consider in the substance of the gospel is remember the reality of the life of our Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to consider again as you read the gospels, we read the narratives of Jesus' words, and we read his works his miraculous deeds of power as well as his wisdom. And we say with the uh, disciples, never spake a man like this. We see in Jesus the fullness of grace and truth, as John chapter 1 says, on display, the very character of God. We see the beauty and the perfection in human flesh and human nature of the divine Godhead. And brethren, Jesus was attested by God, as we see, with the miracles that he did. We read, uh, as we said on Friday night, of Jesus' of Jesus' power in healing uh, the sick, healing the infirm, healing the diseased, of healing sinners, not just their bodies, but healing their souls, making men new. But then not only healing them of their sin, but we see Jesus bringing them out of bondage. Remember on Friday night we talked about that's the second aspect of salvation. The cross is healing and bringing out of bondage into a state of deliverance, a state of flourishing and prosperity. And we see Jesus doing these things throughout the Gospels. We see him speaking and the, and, and the lame walking, the blind seeing. But then we see Jesus making people new. We see Him calling them to faith. Thy faith has made thee well. Go in peace. Sin no more. Right. And we see Jesus doing these things, and I, I won't have us turn there, but in John 5, Jesus, when He is questioned about the validity of His testimony, you know, He makes the point that the works that I do, these bear witness of Me. My Father also bears witness of Me. 
as I bear witness of myself. So there's multiple witnesses, he says. My Father is testifying with me, working in and through me. And these works demonstrate that I am, in fact, exactly who I have said I am. That I am, in fact, sent by God. I am the unique, right? I am the unique only begotten of the Father. That's the call to believe who Jesus is. But secondly, we talk about the substance of the gospel as we see here. We see that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, as Paul says here in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, uh, the substance of this is it. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He died as a sacrifice, a substitute atonement, as the Lamb of God which taketh away the sins of the world, of His people. He said that He laid down His life for His sheep. Right? The good shepherd lays down His life for His sheep that He calls them and He knows them by name. We see the glorious good news that Christ set His face towards Jerusalem. We saw this on Palm Sunday last week, that Jesus, even as they were saying, Hosanna, oh, save us, as He comes riding into Jerusalem, Jesus had set His face like a flint towards Jerusalem, knowing that Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who killed the prophets, the ones God has sent you, He's going there to die. He's going there to make an atoning death as a substitute sacrifice to become sin that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. Jesus, this gospel that Jesus was going to lay down His life in the place of sinful men, that He was going to bear the curse for their soul, having become a curse for them, as is written in Galatians 3.13, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. Right? He was going to have the full weight of God's wrath, the cup of that wrath poured out on him in full for the sins of his people throughout time and time in history from every tribe, tongue, and nation. The Lord was going to lay it upon him and he was going to drink it to the full. Brethren, we can't even begin to comprehend the agony, not just of body, but the agony of anguish of what, that, what had happened in that three hours. Right? When everybody abandoned him, it's just Jesus and the Father. When he calls out, Oh my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Brethren, Jesus says that he was making himself an offering up of his soul to God for the sins of sins of God's people for their redemption, Isaiah fifty three. That's part and parcel of the substance of the gospel. He died and he was truly buried. Again, brethren. There was no doubt about it. They knew Jesus was dead. He wasn't swooning. There wasn't just a passing out. He was verifiably dead. Lifeless. And they took him down and they wrapped him in clothes. The the, the clothes. And they laid him in a tomb with a massive boulder that no man by himself could possibly move. Especially one who had just been suffered and died and crucified Brethren, make no mistake about it, Jesus was truly dead. He was truly buried. He was laid with the, uh, in, in a tomb. That's sometimes those simple truths, honestly, just they, they make me well up. 
Brethren, as we've said this morning, though, the third thing of the substance, Jesus, his soul was not abandoned to Hades, as we saw in Psalm 16. His flesh did not see corruption. God the Father, through the Spirit, raised Jesus up. I read this week, and it's true, brethren, I remind you that that stone was rolled away. Father, the stone was rolled away not to let Jesus out, but to let the world in. To let Peter and John and those come in and say, there's the grave clothes. We just read yesterday in John 20 at our house how they walked in and, and, and Peter, uh, Peter and John walked in and they saw the clothes there in the, and around his head that was actually folded, right? There's proof that Jesus had come and the folding of the clothes, that, that hadn't happened by accident. It was, it was, Jesus was raised up from the dead and, and how Jesus, you know, Mary comes and she doesn't know what to do and she looks around and sees a man behind her and doesn't perceive that it's Jesus immediately. And she says, tell us, where, where have you taken him that we might go? And you remember Jesus' words, Mary, Rabboni, teacher. And Jesus tells to her, you know, don't touch me. Don't cling to me before I haven't ascended yet to my Father. But go and tell your brethren that I am alive. I am risen and I'm going ahead of them. I'll meet them. Brethren, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is one of the most unattestable, un- unquestionable facts. And it goes on because we know this because, again, not only the testimony of Scripture, but look what he says. Paul points this out that he was seen and borne witness to by God the Father and a multitude of witnesses. I mean, this is one of the most uh, independently attested events the most in in history in terms of multiple people who saw and then reported what they have seen. I assure you, we don't have near such well attestation for most of almost anything that's in your history books. Right? God didn't do this thing in secret. When Jesus rose from the dead, that the word of this went out all over the place. It was broadcast like on live stereo to everybody who could hear it. And so what happens? He was seen by Cephas, by Peter. He was then seen by the twelve. You remember they were uh, high, they were after Jesus' resurrection, it says a week later they were there together, gathered, and Jesus comes again and stands in their midst, shows himself to Thomas. Put your hands here, Thomas. Look at me. Look at my side. Touch here and see that it is I and not a ghost. Be not unbelieving, but believing, Thomas. Blessed are those who having not seen yet, they believe. They are believing. But here I am, Thomas. Make no mistake about it. Risen, resurrected. And where were Thomas's words? My Lord and my God. Where did Thomas, as far as we know, get the faith then to go, as history tells us? And he actually, apostle, went to India. Not in the scriptures, but tradition says that Thomas was the one who went to India. And there was a vibrant vibrant Indian church in that first century and he died there as a martyr where did Thomas get the faith to go from this cowering unless I believe unless I see it and put my hands there I won't believe to going and being the one who bore immense fruit in a first century Indian church believing and calling on the name of Jesus along along the western part of India how did Peter Go from being the bumbling fisherman that he was, stumbling all over himself, unsure of himself, the one who denied Jesus three times 
But when Jesus, the risen, resurrected Christ, comes and three times says, Peter, do you love me? In resurrected body, he sees Jesus eat there with him on the shore. Reminding of, I'm calling you to be fishers of men. Brethren, we just read in Acts 2, that Peter, that man had courage. He had power. He had authority in the Spirit. Why? Brethren, I assure you, it wasn't because he had the slightest bit of doubt about the reality of the resurrected Christ, was it? Had there been even the slightest minutia of doubt, the testimonies of these, of Cephas, the twelve that he says here, seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain present, but some have fallen asleep. After that, by James, then by all the apostles, and then finally on the Damascus Road in Acts 9, by, by Paul himself, brethren, if there was even the slightest inkling of untruth about the, uh, that Jesus wasn't truly raised, brethren, there's no possible way they could have faked this. Impossible. Men could have gone and found the, they could have gone and found the dead body somewhere else. They would have produced it. If the Romans had stolen it, they could have simply quashed this by simply saying, there it is, we've got it right here. But there was an immediate power and authority and boldness and courage because they knew what they knew what they knew. They had talked to Jesus. They had seen him. They had touched him. That which we have seen, handled our eyes and beheld concerning the word of life, 1 John 1, right? They knew that he was raised. And brethren, that changed everything. And they knew then that he had been exalted to the right hand of God. As, as we see there in Acts, this Jesus delivered up by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God you have taken and so on, whom God raised up, and he has been exalted, verse 33 of Acts 2, to the right hand of God the Father. He has received the fa- from the Father the promise of the Spirit and so on. Brethren, these things he hears, he says, because Jesus not only raised, but he is exalted, ruling at the right hand until he puts all of his enemies under his feet. We're told in 1 Corinthians 15, later in this chapter, that Jesus must reign until he puts all of his enemies under his feet. The last enemy that will be subdued is death itself. Think back to Psalm 2. You are my son, this day I have begotten you. All right? Ask of me and I will give you the nations as your inheritance. You will rule them with a rod of iron. Brethren, if, there, if Jesus is reigning and ruling and raised right now, you and I have no reason, no reason whatsoever to live in fear, no reason, no reason to live in hopelessness. And these are simple gospel truths we all know. But brethren, the disciples were radically transformed and encouraged and hope and boldness because they believe this to be so. Brethren, my yearning for me, for you, and all of us is that these simple truths. Again, yes, he is alive. He is risen indeed. He really is ruling and reigning right now. What reason have I to fear? The sting of death is gone. What can man do to me? <laughs> right? What can anybody do to me? What can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord? Nothing. Because he is risen. He is risen indeed. And he is ruling and reigning. And really he is. Brethren, that should drive our hope. 
So in light of all these things, the first thing I just want to say is, if God has testified of Jesus and these things that Paul has testified and that the apostles testified boldly, spoken of Christ, brethren, we must not neglect the gospel. You must preach the gospel to yourself day by day. Believe it, anchor yourself with it, and ally yourself with other brothers and sisters who love the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this brings to the second point, that salvation is for all who are believing the gospel. Notice what Paul says here in 1 Corinthians 15, 1 and 2. Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, and in which you literally are standing, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast to that word that I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. I made this point previously, but I want to make it again, brethren, that... Belief in Jesus is an ongoing thing. The just will live from beginning to end by faith. Faith which is given by God, sustained by God's power in us, an overcoming faith that overcomes the world, the flesh, and the devil, that holds fast to the Lord and looks to Jesus, believes this gospel, and says, I am going to anchor myself and my soul right there. Right? But brothers and sisters, it's one that continually does that because it's God's power sustaining us in it. And so from faith to beginning to end, believing the gospel beginning to end. And that's what he's saying here. He is saying to them that salvation, A, number one, is worked out, not worked for. (laughs) Let's never confuse that. Brethren, nothing of your salvation on the last day will have even the slightest bit of merit. Lord, I did this. I added to Jesus' finished work. Is Jesus plus this? Nothing. What will be seen on the last day will be that all the works which endure the fire, the testing, gold, silver, and precious stones, they will be seen. You know what? These were the works that were Jesus working in me to will and to do. So that it's Jesus getting the glory and us getting the gladness and the reward. Right? So brethren, the call to you today in the saying believe is to keep believing. Don't ever get moved away from day by day. I believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. The the Nicene Creed, why do we do this week after week? You say, well, Steve, why do we keep that in there every week? I'll tell you why. (laughs) Because brethren, wherever we go with our studies of Scripture all over, it is these reality of the triune God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and of the finished per, the person and the finished atoning work of Jesus and the ongoing ruling and reigning, the work of the Holy Spirit of Jesus working in and through His church in that one holy Catholic and apostolic church. Brethren, it is that gospel and these fundamental truths which will keep you anchored and fruitful and to endure. I have known so many brethren, folks, I'm gonna, by way of anecdote here, I have known so many Reformed Calvinistic sorts over my years who had heads full of theology. Praise God. They, they could talk theonomy. They could talk postmillennialism with the best of them. And again, those are marvelous things. Those are outworkings of the gospel. Those are fruits of that gospel, and they're necessary. But brethren, they ultimately, so many of these that I've known, have fallen away from the faith. They have made shipwreck of their faith. And you say, how does that happen? How? You know, 
You had you had bookshelves full of Calvin and, 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 and you know Calvin and Edwards, Owen. You may have even read a lot of them. How can you possibly fall away? The answer is because they neglected the gospel. Their faith was not anchored on those fundamental truths. Jesus is my all in all. And I will anchor on his righteousness, him working in me to well and do, him, his church, his people. Brethren, wherever we go, love this gospel. It's required for the saints to persevere. He says, you will stand through whom you stand if you hold fast to the faith. You are saved if you hold fast to the faith and stand. So, again, perseverance is required, brethren. But, brethren, also perseverance is a gift of grace. What God requires, God gives to those who hold fast to Him because He's holding fast to them. Those who are working out their salvation in sincere faith, looking to Christ in them and above them, all of Jesus, seeking to walk in the obedience of faith. Yes, we must run the race that is set before us. But how do we run that race set before us? By looking unto Jesus, the author, the finisher of my faith. I must finish the race in faith, brethren. I must not apostatize. I must not quit. You say, whoa, that's a big task. Who is sufficient? And the answer is, We are not sufficient of these things in ourselves, but our sufficiency is from Christ who makes us sufficient. Jesus in you, he will keep you faithful to him. He will work in you faith even when you feel weak and you feel like, Lord, I, I believe, help my unbelief. Jesus will help you. He will not let you go because he's a good savior. He will cause you to bear good fruits and good works of grace by abiding in union with the spirit of Christ. Faith working through love because it's God's power sustaining that faith, right? He will keep you to fight the good fight of faith, as Paul says in 2 Timothy. Therefore, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord will give to me, but not to me only, but to all who have loved his appearing. How do you overcome? It's because you love his appearing. You love Christ. Salvation requires a response of faith. Look at the end of Acts chapter 2. This is vitally important. After the apostle Peter here, after he has given them all the data, he's given them the substance of the gospel. He says there in verse 36, Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified whom you, as he said earlier, have taken by lawless hands and sin and rebellion, whom you crucified, he has made this Jesus to be Lord and Christ. Lord, kurios. Go look in your Septuagint, Old Testament. The word kurios is the word that's applied to Yahweh. (laughs) Make no mistake, but he has made this Jesus whom you crucified. He is declared to be the Son of God with power by the resurrection of the dead through the spirit of holiness, as Romans 1.4 says. He has declared he is Lord and he is the anointed priest king Christ. So then here's the question, verse 37. So what are you going to do with that? Well, that's a lot of great data, Peter. There's a lot of good facts. How did they respond here? When they heard this, they were cut to the heart. 
They said to Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Kind of like the Philippian jailer there in Philippians 16, after he hears Paul and Silas pre- singing, singing the hymns of the gospel, singing to the Lord in the prison at, at midnight, and the earthquake comes, and their chains fall off, but they don't run away. You remember the Philippian jailer? Men, what must I do to be saved? Because this power I see and display in you is unnatural and otherworldly. And I've just heard you singing about Jesus. So I need this. These men, same way in Acts 2. Men and brethren, what shall we do since we are guilty of crucifying the Lord and Christ and He is risen and reigning? Is there any hope? Or are we doomed to despair and, and perdition as His enemies? Brethren, look at verse 38. Here's the response of faith. Repent, let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. That's where the phrase in our Apostles' Creed comes from, by the way. So if anybody asks you, what do you mean by baptism for the remission of sins? You say, I mean exactly what Peter means in Acts 2.38. I won't get into that today, but let everyone be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So brethren, salvation requires a response of faith. It requires believing, repenting, and yes, being baptized. Not that there's power in the water itself. Brethren, we're not like the United Church of Christ. Uh, Church of Christ. It, it's not that the, the, the thing itself is in fact saving in itself. It's because baptism in itself, baptism is the confirming testimony of the truth of what's going on internally. If you believe with your heart, Romans 10, all right? Believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord and confess with your mouth, Christ Jesus, you shall be saved. Brethren, that's not faith plus works. That's faith plus faith. (laughs) It's just faith plus faith plus faith plus faith. You believe in your heart by faith. And therefore, as Paul says, therefore, having believed, we also speak. I confess Jesus is Lord. I give an account for the hope that's within me with meekness. Because that's by faith too. And that's what baptism is. And you will receive. He said, you'll be baptized with water poured on you. Water, but this is where I want to conclude. He says that that baptism, he says, you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now you'll notice earlier, I won't go again through Acts chapter 2, but earlier in this chapter, remember the context. This is Pentecost. The Spirit has just been poured out manifestly. There's tongues and speaking in tongues of, of every tribe and nation declaring the great works of the Lord. It's the fulfillment of what he says there in Joel chapter 2, that in those last days, right, I will send my Spirit upon your sons and daughters and they will prophesy. That's what's happening right in front of them, Right? And it's the fulfillment of that new covenant. I'm going to write my law in their hearts. I'll make them new. And that, and that covenant is going to be to fulfill the Abrahamic covenant. I'm going to pour out my spirit. Pour out. I'm going to baptize people, pour out in my spirit with fire, as Jesus said in the Gospels. I'll baptize with the spirit and with fire. I'm going to baptize them with my spirit in the symbol, and receiving the baptism of water Sign and the seal. It's, it's, it's a visible manifestation of the pouring out of the Spirit together. 
Repent and be baptized, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You'll be baptized in the Spirit even as you're being baptized in water. The two go together. Do you see that? That's the gospel message. You will receive that gift of the Spirit and the fulfillment of the promises to Abraham that he would raise up from him, from every tribe, tongue, and nation. He would raise up to him children. Through him, the nations would be blessed. And the nations and the Gentile nations would come in through the fulfillment of this promise to Abraham. And here we see it being brought to fruition, which then when we get to verse 39, and the last point is this, that salvation, brethren, includes households. Because it says there, the promise is to you. Which promise? In context of Acts chapter 2, brethren, the promise. Go look at the word promise and how it's used through Acts chapter 2. The promise, brethren, continually is the promise of the Holy Spirit. The promise of the Holy Spirit in fulfillment of all the promises made to Father Abraham about his seed. Right? The promise is to you. And it's to your children, and it's to all who are far off. So not only to you Jews and your children, but to all those Gentiles, you and me, thanks God for that, who are far off in places like Illinois. To all who are far off, the promise is to you and your children, all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God is going to call. He's going to bring in a great harvest from among the Gentile nations. And this promise... Repent, believe, be baptized, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You'll be brought in to the people of Abraham. Those stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore, right? Through whom all the nations will be blessed. Who God says, He will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. The ones to whom will inherit the earth. Romans 4.13, the promise that He would be heir of the world. Brethren, those people, repent, believe, be baptized in water, receive the gift of the Spirit, because this promise is to you, but not to you only. It's to your children and to those who are far off. I just want to close by making this simple point, brethren. I'm not going to get into a theology today of, of uh, we, this will be for another sermon sometime. I'm going to get theology of, of, of baptism in households. Obviously, this is the reason why we here do baptize our children, because we believe this promise. And we look for it to be fulfilled. We expect it because God is true. But brethren, I just want to make the point that, you know, the logic of this passage is really just saying, look, repent, be baptized, because the Old Testament promise of Abraham and the promise fulfilled in the Spirit is to you and to your children. All right? It includes, uh, it was always intended, every covenant in the Old Testament, go look at it, every covenant, Noah, Abraham, the Mosaic Covenant, the Davidic Covenant, the language of I will be your God and the God of your children and children's children after you. Covenants, brethren, by very definition, are including households. God's tension was always this way to save people and their households, that their children would be holy and set apart to Him, and that He would give them the Spirit. So, brethren, as you consider these things today in this gospel, I call you to believe this afresh. God's intention for you is not just to save you adults. He has every intention. He will pour out His Spirit. Now, is that going to come automatically? No. Pray for it. Seek it. Keep your covenant vows. Train them in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Brethren, do so in faith. 
God's intention is to give your children the Spirit and to make their lives fruitful because He has made a promise. And as He has promised to save you, His intention is to save them and their children's children and so on. All by faith. So brethren, let me close by simply asking you this. Do you love and believe the gospel? Do you love and believe this gospel of a God who is saving the world through the church and He's saving households and nations and people as they repent and believe and hold fast to these truths about Jesus Christ. Do you believe that? Do you love that gospel, brethren? Let's pray. Father, I pray for us. Lord, I I just... As a pastor, my deepest yearning is that every single one of us here in this congregation and those who you will yet add, Father, that we will be those who, like Paul said, that we will stand firm in this gospel. We'll be immovable, steadfast, abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing we're not in vain in the Lord because the gospel is true and that in standing firm we will hold fast and we will inherit and finish the race and our reward. And We will hear Jesus say, Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your Lord. And we will look back and cast our crowns at His feet. And we will see truly as it is that it was all of Christ from beginning to end. All by faith which He gave in His grace. And it was Jesus in us, the hope of glory. Father, may we be people of Your gospel. May we love all who cling to Your gospel. Father, give us humility as a congregation. I pray that we would never become proud. But that we would uh, say that we are rooted and grounded in these simple truths. And in doing so, Father, may we be fruitful and never moved. And may we grow. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.